Hi, I'm Dave Bushong, KZ1O, and this is 99hobbies.com. Welcome back to 99hobbies.com. This is the final part of the MassCon recordings from the first MassCon in spring of 2010. Joe Taylor, K1JT, talks about one of his weak signal projects, WSPR, or Whisper. This is one of those so-called exotic modes that scares many people away, but it just works better and better the more people try it, and it takes very modest equipment to give it a spin. Many users, or whisperers, are shortwave listeners who contribute to reception reports, just like those of us with a license. Here's Joe Taylor, K1JT. Well, this has been great. I've enjoyed myself immensely today, and I hope everyone else has too. Uh, We're going to shift gears a little bit at this point. Uh, I'm not going to be talking about hardware, but uh, primarily software, although uh, there's a lot of hardware behind it uh, all as well. And the uh, uh, basic... um, scheme of my talk is going to be to first, um, in, in 10 minutes or so, give you a little bit of the uh, background of, of uh, where this whisper system came from, WSPR, pronounced whisper, and which stands for Weak Signal Propagation Reporter. Uh, I got um, back into ham radio after being uh, uh, mostly inactive for 35 years or so, around about 1998-99 and uh, wanted to get back into the VHF world, which, where I'd had a lot of fun as a, uh, as a youngster um, before I went off and did other things for quite a while. My kids had grown up and left home and so forth, and I was uh, anxious to uh, get a radio station going again. And I wanted to get back on the VHF bands. I was particularly interested in some of the weak signal things you can do on uh, six, two meters and the higher bands. Uh, I, I had had fun many years ago. 50 years ago, in fact, doing uh, meteor scatter on six meters. I wanted to do that again, and two meters uh, meteor scatter, and maybe even moon bounce, which had always been a uh, uh, a fond hope, but never realized uh, from my point of view. So I wanted to do that, and uh, realized that uh, there were a lot of ways in which uh, modern communication technology uh, could be adapted to weak signal work on the VHF bands. And so I, I began work on some software that would uh, aid this process would use uh, coding and modulation schemes uh, much more efficient than the ones we normally use for most of our uh, everyday QSOs and rag chews. Uh, single sideband, as we know, is one very convenient mode, but uh, you can do better with CW uh, from a signal to noise point of view. And you can actually do a lot better than CW with other techniques that don't involve uh, decoding with the uh, with a human brain and ear system, but rather with uh, some digital technology behind it all. So that's where the program known as WSJT for Weak Signal Communication, and then my initials uh, got in there just uh, sort of to complete the the uh, the name. So um, I'll say a few things about uh, the development of WSJT because it has uh, built into it the uh, the methodology that then got adapted into Whisper. Uh, which is uh, really the main point of this talk. So uh, let's just get on with it. Uh, around about 2001 or so, when I did have a station back on the air again uh, and, and was starting to look into ways to uh, see if I could 
translate some of these ideas into uh, real functioning systems that I could use, that other people could use, that possibly would even become popular enough that you could actually get on the band with them and call CQ and have people answer, and we very much are at that point now. So the basic objective was to make it possible to make uh, contacts by meteor scatter or Earth-Moon-Earth, moon bounce, uh, at the lowest feasible signal levels, meaning that maybe if the, the system worked fairly well, you might even be able to do moon bounce without a monster antenna uh, that uh, only a few people in Texas could build, or uh, uh, a, you know, a full uh, gallon plus of, of uh, RF. Um, clearly, there were going to be some uh, constraints and trade-offs, uh, and among those that I thought were going to be important for optimizing the system uh, would be the fact that. Uh, of course, at a QRP convention, we're, we're not only running low power because transmitter power is expensive, but it's partly because it's also fun to run low power. But in any case, uh, if we're talking about being able to do some of these really long stretch things, meteor scatter or moon bounce, um, we'd like to be able to do it with less than uh, huge amounts of power. Uh, bandwidth is relatively cheap. Uh, you don't want to uh, put broadband signals that take up a whole band, but if you want to use a kilohertz or two, that's, that's fine. That's a lot more bandwidth than CW uses, and if you can make good use of that, uh, that might be uh, highly desirable. Um, I wanted to take into account the uh, frequency stability of the radios that most of us use because I was hoping that if this system turned out to be... Uh, effective and, and uh, desirable, that lots of people would, would want to use it, and they'd want to use it with their standard uh, transceivers. Um, and those are fairly good these days for frequency stability, but they're not perfect. So I wanted to make sure that the system would end up not requiring um, GPS-locked oscillators and things that uh, many people don't have. Um, I wanted uh, it to be possible to make contacts at least at the rate of a few per hour. Maybe it would even be uh, fun for uh, working some extra grid locators during VHF contests for example, uh, but uh, I didn't care if the QSO took five minutes or ten minutes. I didn't, you didn't have to have rapid-fire exchanges. That, of course, means that the bandwidth, or at least the data rate, can be much lower, and that would be one desirable way of optimizing the, uh, the throughput at a given uh, signal level. Um, and this necessarily meant that, since I was thinking primarily at the beginning of moon bounce and meteor scatter, these are two very different regimes. Moon bounce, the signals are basically constant. They're predictable. They're there every day. The background noise varies a little bit because the moon, of course, moves in the sky, and therefore it's uh, in front of different parts of our galaxy, which generate uh, significant radio noise at VHF and UHF frequencies. So the signal-to-noise ratio may change a bit from day to day, but it does so in a predictable way, and the signal level is basically uh, constant otherwise. A little bit of fading, but uh, it's basically constant. Meteor scatter is very different. Uh, you get a, a, a brief uh, reflection from, from a meteor trail halfway between a pair of stations that might be a thousand miles apart, and um, you get a brief uh, enhancement of signal that might last a second or two. Uh, as many of you know, it is possible to make single sideband QSOs during a meteor shower by getting on and calling CQ and break frequently because just at the time that you may stand by, somebody might answer you, and it's possible, but it's not very easy. And uh, it would be uh, even easier if we could make use of not only uh, meteor bursts, which tend to last for several seconds, but also the things which uh, for many, many years, decades, in fact, uh, uh, VHF ham operators who like to do meteor scatter called the abominable pings, the very short signal that uh, on CW at least sounds like just a very brief 
uh, burst of a, of a tone because you got a fraction of a dot or a dash and that's not much more. Maybe it lasts a tenth of a second. If we could take, make use of those uh, tenth of a second peaks for uh, transmitting a call sign, uh, a signal report, and a roger, say, uh, we could make use of those uh, much easier because those uh, pings are rel rel relatively common. So those were the ideas I had in mind. Uh, digital communication basics in general. If you're uh, an engineer sitting down to design a system, you've got a number of things that you can play with. You, uh, you have a data rate and a throughput that you'd like to specify. Uh, you can imagine um, putting restrictions on the nature of the message that is to be transmitted. And uh, if you uh, restrict it in such a way that you can codify the message into a smaller number of bits of information, digital information, uh, then you can uh, also get more information through in a, in a shorter time. Uh, the so-called source encoding will be a part of that uh, um, mechanism. It's a way of getting, uh, basically it's like uh, compression algorithms that can compress a file on your computer into a smaller number of bits. Uh, that works because there are certain patterns that are typically repeated many, many times. Uh, if, if, if you're saving regular uh, English language text, for example, certain letters are much more common than others and you can uh, encode them in a smaller number of bits. You can do the same sort of thing with call signs and signal reports and the like, and that may be helpful. Uh, you can uh, embellish the way this uh, information is being handled by adding error control information in such a way that repeats may not be required, even if the transmission is not copied 100% for all the information that arrived, you can actually have enough redundancy uh, built into the message that the uh, user information can be de decoded with no, no errors at all. And so that built-in forward error correction, as it's known, uh, can be very important. Um, you can play with the modulation scheme that uh, would be used. You could use uh, phase shift keying or frequency shift keying or other things beside the on-off keying that is used for uh, ordinary CW. And of course, you have the bandwidth at your disposal to, uh, to change. Frequently, synchronization uh, of the transmitter and receiver can be a big uh, help. Uh, if we all had perfect clocks, we could do it uh, just by um, somehow having a time signal available. But we don't. And uh, even if we're using computers, the computer clocks may be close, but they won't be precise to the millisecond level. So uh, you may need to build some synchronization mechanism into the signal structure so that the decoder can know exactly where the beginning of the message is and, and not uh, miss uh, an ability to add additional uh, um, effective uh, throughput at a given signal level for that cause. So that's the, those are the basic things that uh, were available to play with. So I came up with this uh, program that began uh, to be distributed, uh, made available to others uh, freely by downloading them, uh, downloading it on the web uh, in about 2001, uh, and I gave it that name, WSJT. Probably a better name should have been come up with, but I never had one, so that's what it's always been called. Uh, so it's a computer program, and it's designed to bring these new ideas on coding and modulation into uh, the way we do things uh, primarily at VHF, but it turns out that Parts of it have also become quite popular on HF as well in recent years. Uh, so it requires, uh, like, like PSK31 and, and other uh, digital modes, it requires a, a, a single sideband transceiver, a computer with a sound card interface uh, that basically just takes the audio uh, output from the sound card into the transceiver's uh, microphone input or another input for uh, audio, and uh, the output from the receiver goes to the sound card uh, input 
support. Uh, altogether now, uh, WSJT probably has a few thousand users worldwide. Uh, I'll mention just quickly uh, a few points about it. it. It has this one mode known as FSK441 for uh, meteor scatter at VHF. Uh, FSK for frequency shift keying, of course. The 441 is the baud rate. So this is a, a fairly rapid rate uh, of coding, 441 uh, uh, frequency shift in, uh, uh, intervals per second. Uh, it's actually four-tone frequency shift keying rather than two-tone, so that each uh, keying interval uh, conveys two bits of information rather than only one. So the, the raw data rate is 882 bits per second. There's another mode that's been called JT6M for uh, designed for a six-meter uh, ionospheric and meteor scatter. It has slightly different parameters and different way of operating than FSK441. They're sort of equally effective on six meters. The FSK441 is the one that's used primarily on two meters. Then there's the, meteor, the, uh, the moon bounce mode. It's known as JT65. 65 because there are 64 data tones used in the frequency shift keying scheme, plus one additional tone that's used for the synchronization procedure, synchronizing time and frequency between the transmitter and receiver. And I'll show you a little bit more about how that works. Then there are a couple of experimental modes. I'm not going to spend any time talking about them. They work pretty well, but they probably won't be permanent features of the program. Um, and finally, there's the whisper mode, which uh, you can actually use for making contacts, uh, although most people have found that uh, on the HF bands, at least, the JT65A mode works uh, just as well as the whisper mode, and it uh, allows you to make uh, more uh, free form contacts. The whisper mode messages are very restricted in their content, and uh, it's also quite slow. It requires two-minute transmissions, whereas JT65 uses one-minute transmissions. All of these modes, by the way, do use timed transmissions, which start uh, at the beginning of a UTC minute or 30-second or interval, a half a minute. And the reason is because when you're trying to dig a very weak signal out of the, out of the noise that you probably can't even hear, uh, much of the time, if, and maybe even not any of the time, uh, it's nice to know when the transmission starts so you're not both transmitting at once to each other when you're trying to make a contact. So if you're running JT65 and doing moon bounce, you agree uh, or you work it out, you, you find out that uh, you're either going to transmit in the even-numbered minutes or the odd-numbered minutes, and you're going to listen for guys in the other, uh, the other half cycle, right? So uh, those are the... Uh, sort of basic modes. Uh, I'll just say a few words about uh, a couple of them. Uh, as I said, FSK441 is the one used for meteor scatter. It works well on six meters, two meters. You can even make contacts with it uh, with meteor scatter at, uh, on 222 and even 432, although it gets progressively uh, more difficult as you go up in frequency uh, pretty rapidly. Uh, anyway, on two meters it works quite effectively. Uh, typically covers distances of something like 500 to 1,000 miles, uh, even up to 1,200, 1,300 miles. Uh, I guess, guess I put the numbers there in kilometers. Um, for two-meter meteor scatter or, or meteor scatter on six meters, you have, uh, it's not QRP, but you can do it with fairly modest equipment. A, a Yagi on the roof that looks not much bigger than a TV antenna and 100 watts are enough. Um, more is better when it comes to uh, signal strength here, but you can definitely make uh, quite a number of contacts with uh, uh, equipment of that size. And I've already mentioned the fact that uh, the real meteor scatter communication that people have done with this uh, mode that works well is to uh, emphasize the, 
the use of these pings that last for only a fraction of a second. The data rate is such that you can transfer two call signs and a signal report and a roger in about uh, just a little over a tenth of a second. And so that takes advantage of these uh, pings. So you basically just uh, you send a transmission for a full 30 seconds, either the first half of the minute or the second half of the minute. Uh, say you send a CQ in the first half of the minute, you would then listen for a response in the second half of the minute. And you just send, keep sending the same message over and over uh, hundreds of times in, in 30 seconds, and you're waiting for that one-tenth of a second when a meteor goes over and, and gives the signal that you want. And you can actually uh, make communications this way. You don't rag-chew this way. You basically <laughs> you call CQ, and if you're lucky, somebody will answer, and you can exchange grid locators or something. Maybe you're doing this in a contest. Uh, it's kind of fun to listen to what the signal sounds like, and I think I can, uh, just by holding the mic next to the speaker on the computer, you can, I can let you hear one. Uh, here's what a meteor burst sounds like on two meters. Let me play it again. Okay, you hear some background noise and then a kind of a burbling sound that lasts for, in this case, a good, a good half a second or so. And uh, anyway, that was conveying the message, which was repeated many times over, thanks for the contact. <laughs> thanks, QSO, thanks, QSO, et cetera. That was finished with the contact. Okay, let's go on to the moon bounce mode very briefly. Um, moon bounce basics. Uh, lots of people think it's the Mount Everest of ham radio. It's, it's, it's fun to do because it's hard to do. Uh, and uh, it's hard to do even if you build a big antenna and have a lot of power, but it's a good deal easier if you do those things and then use a digital mode like JT65. Uh, you can do it with CW. A few people with monster systems can even do it with sideband sometimes, uh, but you can do it easily with uh, JT65. Um, moon bounce contacts have been made on all the bands from 10 meters up through 47 gigahertz, I think, now. But the reason it's hard is because the path loss to the moon and back is <laughs> some 250 dB or more, give or take a little bit depending on the band. And um, that's why it's traditionally done with uh, a lot of power and, and big antennas. But uh, you can reduce the requirements significantly by using something like JT65. So here are the basic uh, specifications of this digital mode. It uses one-minute transmission and reception sequences. Uh, so your transmission, if you're transmitting in the even minutes, say, would begin about one second into a even-numbered UTC minute, and then your rece reception interval starts uh, a, uh, 60 seconds later. Uh, the messages are structured. They contain 72 bits of binary information. The uh, information that the observer sees, the user sees, uh, is typically... Uh, either a CQ or a call sign, and then another call sign. You're, say you're calling CQ. It would be CQ, your call sign, your four-digit grid locator, so the other guy that's copying you knows where you are. Uh, and if you want, you can replace the grid locator with a signal report or a roger, um, that sort of thing. If you come back to somebody that was calling CQ, you send a call sign and then your own call sign and your grid locator. So it can, can have that much information in it. If you'd like to go uh, completely random and just send uh, any information at all, you can do that. Uh, any character, uh, alphanumeric character sequence, up to 13 characters can be sent in the one-minute transmission. So you can you know, say, thanks, Joe, 73, or something like that, but it better be short. You've got to fit it into 13 characters. Um, 
the uh, keying, uh, the, the modulation again is frequency shift keying. I've used that incidentally instead of phase shift keying because on the VHF bands, uh, stability probably would not be adequate to, to keep uh, phase lock adequate. Uh, and um, in addition to that, uh, the uh, earth-moon-earth earth path is sufficiently perturbed that you get another little bit of modulation on the signal that wasn't there originally, and that would make uh, frequency shift decoding uh, problematic. Uh, I'm sorry, but would make phase shift uh, decoding problematic. Frequency shift keying works just fine. The rate of, uh, of keying is about 2.7 baud, 2.7 uh, symbols per second. Um, the synchronizing signal is sent at a tone of its own, uh, two tone intervals below the lowest one that's used for data. So if you look at the, the synchronizing tone, then go up uh, twice the keying rate, twice 2.7 hertz, uh, you'll get to the first data uh, tone, and then there are 64 total data tones after that. So 65 tones altogether spread over uh, yeah, 66 times that 2.7 hertz uh, keying rate. So the whole bandwidth is only, uh, what is that, 180 hertz more or less. Um, and there are sub-modes which work at twice that bandwidth and four times that bandwidth for use at higher UHF frequencies where stability may be a problem if you try to filter anything down to the level of 2.7 hertz. Uh, on HF bands and even on 6 meters, to a large extent on 2 meters, you can use the, uh, the narrowest uh, of the JT65 modes. Um, the mode works well. Uh, it's got, fr uh, I, I guess I skipped over the fact of the, the uh, forward error correction that's built into it. It uses a Reed-Solomon code. That's just a mathematical way of, of encoding information with a lot of redundancy. It happens that um, the redundancy ratio is in the ratio of those two uh, integers, 63 to 12. So it's about 5 to 1. So uh, essentially, it's like sending the message, whatever it is, five times over, except that on decoding, it's much more efficient than just repetition and CW, you might just repeat uh, your call over and over to be sure the other guy can copy it. In a mathematically decoded system, you can actually do things that are much more clever than that and make it uh, so that every possible message that you can send in 72 bits is different from every other possible message that could be sent in that number of bits uh, in the largest possible way so that uh, any mistakes that show up are easy to recognize and then to uh, recover from the redundancy built into the code. The upshot of all of this is that uh, the bandwidth that you're decoding in is uh, essentially equal to the baud rate, 2.7 hertz. Uh, the, the narrowest bandwidth that you can effectively use at all for CW is at least 10 times that, around 25 hertz or thereabout. Um, and so right away you get a 10 dB advantage in uh, detecting a signal relative to the amount of noise in that, in that uh, passband. You get additional advantages because of the error correction built into the scheme. And so this works well uh, with essentially zero errors on decoding at levels 10 to 15 dB below the uh, limit at which a, even a very good CW operator could uh, make contacts. Um, here's just an example of what the program looks like when you're um, using it in this mode. Uh, there's actually a CQ in here that some of you not too far back in the room could see. Uh, the Russian station RU1AA is calling CQ off the moon. I answered him. 
he came back to me and said, uh, K1JT, RU1AA, he's in locator KO48, and he's sending me the typical moon bounce signal report, which is a series of O's. That goes back to uh, the uh, CW days uh, of moon bounce, where the signal report that you sent was either you didn't send one at all, or you sent O, meaning I've copied your your, your uh, call sign okay, sort of just a, a binary uh, signal report saying, yes, I got it. Um, and the reason that O was chosen is because dashes are easier to copy when a signal is very weak than dots. So you might as well send a letter that's all dashes, right? Uh, what else? Well, the whole QSO is shown there uh, in larger type over here at the right. Uh, I'm in red, he's in black. So I called him, he came back. I sent him the signal report RO. That just means O is your signal report, uh, meaning I copied okay, and R is a Roger on everything you sent to me. And at the end, we just, uh, here's a little bit of chit chat at the end. I told him he had a fine, big, uh, fine business signal. We've worked many times before. I gave him a signal report numerically this time, minus 7 dB in, this, in the scale that uh, is used by this program. And he says, thanks, Joe. We've worked many times before. So uh, that's what a moon bounce contact in JT65 looks like. Um, okay, so let's go on to uh, Whisper. Uh, I titled this talk Whispering Around the World. It, it is now, from here on, going to be uh, very much more QRP-related because uh, Whisper is an appropriate uh, name for a program that typically uses very low power. Uh, almost nobody does whispering at more than 5 watts, and lots of people do it at uh, a watt or even milliwatt levels. Um, so this mode is not primarily designed for making contacts uh, in the usual sense where if somebody comes back to you and you exchange uh, some pleasantries or some chat or at least a signal report maybe. Instead, it's used in a sort of quasi-beacon mode. Um, you, uh, you send signals uh, that are uh, controlled by the computer, two-minute long transmissions, uh, with a randomized uh, cycle of transmit and receive sequences so that you don't always transmit at the same time uh, that some other station that was also uh, on would be transmitting. So that you have a good chance of having your signal copied by everybody else who is on that is in a region where the band is open to from where, whatever band you're using, and you have a chance of copying everybody else. The message is very simple. It normally includes your call sign, your grid locator with four digits, and your transmitted power in dBm. So 30 dBm is a watt, 37 is 5 watts, and so forth. So I've typically, I crank my TS-2000 when I'm using that uh, transceiver, at least down as low as it'll go, which is 5 watts. Sometimes I even put an attenuator in to get down to even lower levels, but I normally run 5 watts to a dipole when I'm doing this. The whisper mode uses, instead of 64 tones, only 4 tones, uh, and the uh, synchronizing signal is again uh, intermingled with all the, the actual data that conveys the uh, content of the transmitted information. Um, and the other little trick uh, built into this program is that if you have internet access in your shack so that the computer that is doing the modulation and demodulation is connected to the, to the net, you can click a box on the, uh, on the front screen of the program that will uh, upload uh, reports. Every time you decode somebody else's signal, it'll upload that to a central database. That database is located up here in New England. It was, uh, it, the software for that was written by Bruce Walker, W1BW, and the network is called WhisperNet. Uh, we'll see some examples of it in a minute. 
this, it's been running for now, uh, what, not quite uh, two years. There are now 24 million spots in the database. Uh, it started off kind of slowly, and it's, it's currently adding about 100,000 spots per day. Uh, there are 500 stations or so, and they tend to hear each other quite a lot, so any one of those stations might make, whatever, a few hundred spots, and those all get loaded up into the database, and you can do a lot of interesting things with them there, as you will see. The program, when it's running, looks something like this. Um, so uh, you basically just start it up. Uh, you uh, select a, uh, a transmission fraction. The, the screen actually looks just slightly different from this now. Instead of There's a slider here that you can set the TR cycle, which selects how much of the time you will spend transmitting. Most people use 10%, 20%. So you listen. Say if you click 20% or move the slider on the new version to 20%, that means you will uh, be, on the average, transmitting one-fifth of the time and receiving four-fifths of the time. The uh, spectral display up at the top is a waterfall, so-called, but it's actually moving sideways. I don't know of water that doesn't go down, but anyway, this water goes sideways. And uh, frequency is, is a vertical scale. Uh, 200 hertz is the passband. There is a target whisper frequency for each uh, of the HF bands and even on six and two meters. And there's just a 200 hertz slice of the band that's used for whisper signals. Uh, so the frequency resolution here is very high. You can actually read off the frequencies to about one hertz. Uh, each of these little bands of greenish signal or orange if it's stronger uh, is one two minute interval. So this is a very slow uh, waterfall. It takes about a half an hour to move all the way across the screen. Uh, the vertical uh, narrow uh, green lines are just markers for the times when your own station was transmitting. So here we're receiving about, uh, well, I guess I had it on 25%. We were receiving uh, three quarters of the time and transmitting one quarter of the time. So about every three or four of these uh, stripes, uh, there would be uh, a transmission. And the, uh, so you can see in any given uh, two-minute interval, there may be two or three or four or five or six or even eight or ten whisper signals in there, and generally most of them will be decoded correctly. Um, here's what the WhisperNet screen looks like. If you just point your browser when you're connected to the, uh, to the network to uh, whispernet.org, this uh, main screen comes up, and you'll notice that there are a bunch of things you can click on at the top. You can uh, have a little chat room where you can communicate with uh, other people that are doing whispering. You can check the activity on each band and see how many stations are on each frequency band and what they're reporting. You can actually uh, look at a, a map of uh, where the signals are being, uh, where, where the band is open, basically, between different locations on the Earth. We'll look at that in a few minutes. You can actually examine the database itself and see precisely who it was that copied you at a certain time. We'll come back to all these things in a couple of minutes. Here's what the map looks like. Uh, so that is just looks like a jumble of uh, lines connecting uh, different stations all over the world. I think at this particular time the map was made, that was on the 30-meter band, which uh, these days of sun, uh, fairly low sunspot activity, this was even probably six months or a year ago, it was even worse. But the 10-meter, I mean the 10 megahertz band is typically open a lot of places, and there you can see it was at that time. The width of the, of the lines uh, corresponds to how many times uh, the stations at the ends, end points of that line uh, had hurt each other over the last hour. 
Uh, that's su such a mess you can't really see very much of it, but I'll return in a few minutes and show you what you can do to uh, limit the number of spots to a smaller number. Uh, here's just another example. I, I limited it here to a single band. I guess the previous one was not just uh, 10 megahertz. It was all bands together, so no wonder it looked so, so such a uh, everything. Okay, Here it's limited to one band. I think this was probably uh, 10 megahertz, um, the 30-meter band. Here's what the database looks like if you just look at the most recent uh, hour or so of spots. Yeah, a question? Uh, you had some that were red, some that were blue. What's yeah, um, you know, I'd have to go back to the WhisperNet uh, instructions and see what that means. I don't remember what it means, to be perfectly honest. It, yeah. The, the red ones are listening only. The blue ones are trans... Yeah, the, okay, the, uh, certainly the red tags mean uh, an SWL, somebody that's not transmitting an... Uh, and, and they may not even be licensed amateurs, although most of them are. You can see call signs here, but sometimes you'll just see SWL007 or something, or somebody makes up their own name for themselves. They can do that. That's fine. Uh, SWLs are welcome. I think you were asking me about the color of the lines, and I don't know what they mean. I, I think there is a meaning, but I've forgotten what it is. Another question? Yeah. Is there any indication of the direction? Sometimes propagation is... Yeah, you can't, uh, the, the map does not tell you whether it was long path or short path, and there's no way the whisper receiver by itself would know, although the operator might know if he was there and was, and if he had a directional antenna or something, but that is not uh, put into the database. Um, if you just w ask the database for the last uh, 50 spots, it'll show you something that looks like that. So you've got uh, a date and a time over at the left, uh, call sign of the station that was spotted, the frequency is on, the signal-to-noise ratio, and those are the uh, that's comparable to the signal report that I showed in that moon bounce contact. These signal-to-noise ratios are quoted with respect to a fixed bandwidth of 2.5 kilohertz. That's why they're all negative. The the the, uh, the noise over 2.5 kilohertz is a lot more than the noise over 2.7 hertz, which is more like the detection bandwidth. So add 30 to those more or less, and you'll get what the actual signal-to-noise level was in the digital uh, information that was going into the digitized uh, decoder. On the other hand, um, these are meaningful in, in another sense. If you sort of compare it to tuning your SSB transceiver with, a, with its bandpass of about 2.5 kilohertz, more give or take a little bit, that's the signal-to-noise ratio that you would actually hear. Uh, so signal levels at minus 10, minus 20 or so are not audible. Well, many of these signals are not going to be audible. Okay, uh, if you start up the Whisper program and set it up, you've got just a few things you're going to have to do to, uh, to identify your station, uh, but the setup is, is very simple. Put in your call sign, your grid locator. Uh, you've got to select your audio devices in the computer. Uh, if you only have one sound card, that's, that's going to be the only one that will show up there, but otherwise if you select one of several. Uh, set your power level. Uh, and then you've got several things to do with uh, how the computer is going to be controlled. You can use uh, DTR or RTS uh, to uh, th those signals that come out of a serial port to uh, uh, trigger your, your push to talk, or you can uh, use CAT control, you can use VOX, or various other options that you can uh, enter at this point. It's all described in the manual. And then if you uh, just then uh, unclick this little box over here, so that it doesn't say idle anymore, it will then, at the start of the next even-numbered UTC minute, it will start to take uh, data from the receiver and uh, record it. 
at the end of that two-minute interval, it will then display the spectrum, and it'll look like this. So two minutes after the first reception interval started, it'll look like that. Here are the signals that were decoded during that particular two-minute interval. It looks like there are six of them. I was listening again on the 30-meter band, and uh, all those are Europeans, I guess, at that particular time. No, there's one uh, West Coast station even. So uh, most of those, I think all of those signals at the, at the levels that you see there, minus 19, there's even one at minus 32, minus 18, those would all be inaudible. If you put on the headphones and tuned across there, you wouldn't hear anything at all. Some people have been complaining that uh, whisper signals are QR, uh, QRMing the QRP segment of the band, uh, and maybe that has happened sometimes, and uh, this is close to the QRP segment, I know, on, on, uh, on this band. These signals are typically <laughs> so weak that I don't see how anybody could complain of QRM. And whatever, it's only 200 hertz of the band, so it's not, we're not taking up a very big piece of the spectrum doing this. But there are lots of signals, and some of them are, are uh, relatively strong. Uh, as soon as uh, somebody starts being heard uh, at signal levels that are not negative some dB, but positive, uh, other people will start leaning on but turn the power down. You don't need all that power. Dave? Uh, Joe, you, you declared your power setting is 37, plus 37 uh, dBm there. To ask a leading question, can you describe how you know that? Uh, I know it only because I uh, read off what the Kenwood dial says when I turn the power knob all the way down, and I read it on a on a uh, standard MFJ type of SWR and watt meter, and they agree more or less. That's all. Uh, it's not a precise measurement, but it's probably not far off. <clears throat> okay, um, you can do a few extra tricks with the Whisper program. Uh, one that intrigued me a lot was uh, I wanted to see how far off the master oscillator is on my synthesized uh, SSB transceiver. All right, most uh, modern transceivers uh, have a master oscillator, and everything is synthesized from that. If that master oscillator is off by a couple of parts per million, then all your dial readings are off by a couple of parts per million. And um, it would be nice to know what that was and correct for it. And since uh, Whisper offers cat control of your, of your radio, it could actually correct and set your, trans your, your frequency to what it should be rather than what the dial says. So I built in a system here that uh, allows you to measure an audio frequency so if you set the uh, set your uh, transceiver to uh, upper sideband mode, set it to 10 megahertz for WWV, and then back it down to 99, 98.5, so that it's 1500 hertz lower than the actual WWV signal should be zero beat, then you should be getting a 1500 hertz tone in the speaker. Press this button. And after about five seconds, the computer will tell you what the audio frequency was, and it'll be not exactly 1,500 probably. It'll be 1,504 or 1,501 or 1,497 or something like that. And if you make a bunch of measurements like that, you can easily determine what the uh, error in calibration of your, uh, your, your master oscillator is. Here are signals that I, I, I took all the data for this in about one hour, uh, one evening when I was playing around with it. The, the big solid dots are uh, WWV at uh, 2.5, 5, 10, uh, 15, and 20 megahertz. Uh, I guess I had to wait till daytime to do the 20 megahertz one, but I got it finally. Uh, here's CHU at uh, wherever it is now, 35 something, 
and here it is at seven point something, and and uh, there's another one, uh, CHU. So altogether, I think between uh, the U.S. and Canadian uh, bureaus of standards, there are eight points on there or something, and they lie on a straight line. Uh, the straight line here, the horizontal axis, is the frequency at which the signal is broadcast in megahertz, and the vertical axis is the apparent dial error mentioned in the way I just mentioned, uh, measured in the way I just mentioned, uh, using whisper program, in hertz. Okay, so it's a couple of hertz off down here. It's 10 hertz off at about this frequency. It's 20 hertz off up here. I already knew that more or less because I could, you know, just playing with zero beating uh, frequencies, uh, the, the uh, frequencies of known signals, but this measured it very precisely, and I could measure the slope and the intercept of this line. Here are the, here are the equations of a straight line that fits those points, and it fits them extremely well. For interest, the other points on here are, um, the X's are shortwave broadcast stations, and down here they are um, AM broadcast stations. They're also very close to the straight line. They're not as close as the as the frequency standards, but they're only a few hertz off, as you can see. So you could actually calibrate your radio even if you couldn't access, for some reason, uh, WWV or CHU. You could use broadcast stations. The shortwave broadcast stations are almost all on even 10 kilohertz frequencies. The uh, AM stations, of course, all are. Notice the, uh, there's a big bunch of stations right on the line, both for broadcast, uh, AM broadcast and for shortwave broadcast. There are a few that are farther off. Uh, it's not hard to tell uh, that, uh, and you probably won't be very surprised to know that big city stations tend to be this group here, and little, uh, you know, two kilowatt uh, stations out in the boonies. The engineers aren't all that careful, and they don't have GPS or whatever. They're off by a hertz or two. Who cares? <laughs> but it's it's not that hard to measure with uh, simple equipment like this. Um, Whisper runs on. Uh, Windows, but it also runs on Linux. Uh, it runs on uh, Macs even. Uh, the software is all open source, so you can actually download it and play with the software yourself if you're into that kind of computer programming. Uh, here's just a summary of the uh, signal-to-noise limits. Uh, for fun, I compared uh, single sideband, which you can copy when it's just about at the noise level in a 2.5 kilohertz bandwidth. CW, if you're a really good operator, you can get down to minus 10 to minus 15 dB on this scale. JT65B, the moon bounce mode, gets you down to this range, and Whisper is sort of at the bottom of that, uh, all those ranges. Something around minus 28 is where it starts to cut off. And for all of these cases, I might mention that uh, because of the, uh, for JT65 and Whisper, uh, you, it's a little strange. You either get the message exactly as it was transmitted, or you don't get anything at all. Uh, you don't get garbage. Uh, that's because of the built-in uh, error correction scheme. So it can tell if it decoded the message correctly or not, and if it did, it displays it. If it didn't, you get just nothing. Um, if you're into playing with the software, you might want to know exactly how the message is uh, encoded. And there's a little um, uh, utility program that comes with it and gets installed with Whisper that you could play with. If you type in a message such as, uh, the one that's shown here, if, you can, if you're not too far back in the room, you can probably see K1ABC in FN42 at 37 dBm. That encodes into the data symbols that look like this, the sync symbols that look like this, and if you double the data symbol and add it to the sync symbol, you get a total number that must be somewhere between 0 and 3, and that corresponds to the four possible tones of four-tone frequency shift keying. So this last array of numbers here 
is what you would program into your DDS, say, if you wanted to make a all-hardware whisper transmitter that doesn't need a computer. You find out what your message is, you encode it like this, you put it into a ROM or something, and uh, that, that, would be, uh, that would tell you how to, how to make the frequency uh, step. I don't think I mentioned what the uh, frequency shift interval is. The full bandwidth of a, of a whisper signal is a little bit under 6 hertz. The separation between each of the four possible tones is a little under one and a half hertz. So this is a really narrow band signal. Uh, as someone mentioned earlier today, if you listen to it, it uh, you would almost swear there's no modulation on it at all. It sounds like a, a pure tone. The, uh, the transitions between one tone and the next are done in a phase continuous way so that you don't get uh, uh, key clicks or, or uh, annoying artifacts like that. It sounds almost unmodulated but obviously the software can tell. Just a few words about the, the, uh, the programming itself. Uh, as I said, it's open source, and if you're into these things, you're certainly more than welcome to play, play with it. Uh, the user interface is coded in a language called Python, which uh, I've only learned in the last couple of years, but I've found is a very elegant language and easy to, to uh, use for making uh, quick mock-ups of, uh, of the front panels for programs of this kind. The uh, number crunching is done in the ancient but honorable ang language of Fortran. <laughs> Some of you will, will chuckle at that, but that's my, that says something about how old I am. <laughs> it is an ancient and honorable language, and uh, it's very efficient for doing uh, uh, number crunching. And, and also there's some various system calls and so forth done in C. But it all comes together in a, in a way that makes these things uh, transparent to the typical user. Uh, if you're into these things at all and would like to, you can check out the code. Uh, the, there's a website uh, there. It happens to be in Germany, but it's just one of these public uh, repositories for open source code. If you uh, use it and uh, do anything with it, you're welcome to th do that, but you accept the general public license, which says that if you do anything fancy with it, you have to make your program also open source, right? That's all. I said the WhisperNet uh, uh, website is a lot of fun to play with. You can interrogate it for statistics of various things. Here is a plot that it shows uh, that you can call up at any time. shows the number of spots per hour over the last 14 days. So there's a 24-hour cycle, which has to do with where the major activity centers are and, and the rotation of the Earth and so forth. You can see the number of spots on different bands there by the colors. Uh, here's a similar thing, but uh, here's the number of spots per day going all the way back to when Whisper was first uh, begun in the early, 19, early uh, 2008, up until the present. We were, at first, we're, there was just a couple dozen of us that were fooling around with it. Now there are something like 500 uh, stations, uh, sorry, this is spots per day. So there's something like, I said close to 100,000 spots per day. Okay, this is 80,000 here, and we're going off the top. I think the top border here was 100,000. So recently we've been getting large numbers of spots every day. Uh, again, you can see them by band. Here are the number of stations participating per day. Um, uh, it's, it's up around 500 now, as you can see, in, in recent days. That's uh, over the last three or four months, I guess, it's been up at that level. Uh, and here you can see uh, the number of spots by band overall in the whole database and over the last uh, couple of weeks, I guess it is. The low spot of the uh, low part of the sunspot cycle. It's not surprising that we're getting most of the spots on 80, 40, and 30 meters, but uh, you'll see quite a few on other other bands as well. Uh, 
So uh, that's the end of what I was going to show in, in this. Uh, let me just uh, abort this program now and uh, bring up the WhisperNet live because we do have uh, uh, internet here in the room and I think the computer is, is uh, live to it at this point. So there, there's what the front screen looks like. Um, this is now live, I think. If I click on map up here, we should be able to bring up what the map looks like at the moment. And uh, is it in fact doing anything? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so it's gonna fill in there in a minute, I guess. So that probably is, uh, I'm not sure why we don't have any color that yet in the middle stripe, but maybe we'll get that in a minute. Uh, let me scroll down. Oh, we are sorry, but we don't have imagery at this zoom level. Try zooming out. Try zooming out, like to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea why, why that, I've, I've never seen that message before. That, that looks better. Now let me zoom it back again and see see if we get back to where we were. I something. All right. So that doesn't look too bad. So let me scroll down and uh, and put on uh, now that you can see the selection criteria here are allowing uh, spots on all bands uh, and with uh, this just sets where the center of the map is. That's fine. This is uh, setting over the last one hour. So that's probably a good time. So let's just select a particular band. Um, and uh, Oh, I didn't mean to press update. I meant to break. <laughs> Sorry about that. Clicked the wrong thing. I want to click band. Uh, and I don't know. Let's select the 30-meter band. Um, and then click update. And so that'll uh, reduce the number of lines, but it'll still be a lot. Um, so I better I don't I can't see the southern hemisphere very well here so let's zoom out again see if we can see a little bit more um, okay so we're basically seeing the whole world there now and it looks like 10 meters is open I mean 10 megahertz is open now over much of the world uh, let's just limit it a little bit more I left my system at home uh, running in receive only mode uh, just so just for fun let me type my call sign in here and it says, the, the fine print there says, if non-blank, show only those spots involving the specified call. So this will now, uh, since I'm receive only at the moment, this should show only stations that I'm receiving. If I was also transmitting, it would show stations that are receiving me as well as stations that I am receiving. But uh, if we, I guess I didn't, oh, this, uh, this says, um, Maybe I'm not. <laughs> I forget what band I left it running on. If, or maybe, maybe uh, um, there may be other explanations too, like like the computer the power failed and the computer rebooted, or God knows what all. Um, when I checked it actually earlier today, I was seeing something there. So I don't know why I'm not now. Let's put somebody else's call in there. Um, or we could do a different time. Anyway, you get the you get the idea. You can set set all kinds of things here. Uh, W1XP. W1XP, uh, we know, is a whisperer. He's here in the audience. I know. <laughs> but. Uh, I may be heading home, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, if you were on, uh, Bob, you would. Uh, would you be on this time of the day? You left the receive mode. So why are we not seeing anything? I, I have no idea. You have, so no spots in the last hour. I don't know why. Um, 
anyway, you get the general point here. Uh, I think I uh, probably have um, said enough things to be provocative uh, of questions that might arise. I hope I have. I uh, think by this time everybody is probably getting a little tired and a little thirsty and uh, <laughs> maybe uh, ready for uh, uh, something even a little more than what we had in the next room just a few minutes ago. So let, maybe this is a good time to break for questions. Please. Uh, Joe, after using this for a week and, and really being delighted with it, <coughs> having uh, been heard in, in Australia with a half a watt, I think, about 30 meters, it was really exciting. It, it occurred to Do you remember what signal report you got? I don't, no. But anyway, you could, you could go in the database and look it up. Yeah. In fact, let's do that. Let, let's just uh, pull that out of the database. So your call sign is? W1PID. Okay, so we want calls uh, of Whiskey One, Papa, India, Delta. Um, have there been a lot of them? Um, anyway, let's I ask... Well, I, I put in... Oh, I don't want the reporter, right. Well, while you're doing that, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that I had this great and frightening vision. <coughs> a few years from now, a guy walking into his shack, yeah. turning on his rig, firing up Whisper, going... California or somewhere for a week and coming back and having DXCC completed <laughs> <laughs> and having it automatically filed the logbook of the world. Look, these are, these are not QSOs, right? Uh, I, I, when people send me uh, uh, QSL cards saying I copied your whisper signal, I send them back a report saying thanks for the SWL report. We did not have a contact, right? No, but it's, it's, right. Uh, it's, it's not far from the realm of possibility. No, you're right. Okay. So it looks like you were, uh, you've were you been on uh, 10 megahertz quite a bit. Uh, I don't uh, pick out the VK here just yet, but maybe he's here. There he is. Or oh, there's a ZS1. Uh, maybe that's the one I was thinking of. Okay, he's at 12... 12,537 kilometers. Yeah, that's, that's the one I was thinking. <laughs> All right. Well, he, he spotted you uh, a few days ago. <laughs> oh, we were going to look for the signal. Minus 22. All right. Not a bad signal for a watt. <laughs> Half a watt. Thank you. All right. Other questions? Please. How much computer power does the whole setup require to run WSJT? Can I do it with, you know, an old plunger, or do I really need something? Yeah, you, you can, uh, let's see, um, Whisper doesn't need much in the way of computer power, but uh, it, because memory is cheap these days, it is, it's a bit of a memory hog. It needs something like 50 megabytes. So, a, a, you know, a 15-year-old computer won't do it, but a 10-year-old computer probably will. Uh, but uh, and speed is not so important because all it has to do is, is make sure that it can de decode whatever it got in less than two minutes. Well, most of the time it takes only a few seconds. So even a slow computer is fine. For JT65, if you're trying to do moon bounce or something like that, you want to the actual transmissions instead of lasting a full 60 seconds, last for about 48 seconds. You've got 12 free seconds at the end of your transmission or the end of the other guy's transmission also. That means that as soon as the transmission time is over, the computer will start to decode it. 
hopefully it will finish within a couple of seconds, and then you can decide what you're going to send him back because it may depend on what he sent you uh, if you're trying to complete a contact, and, and uh, so that works. And uh, for that, I mean, a typical, uh, uh, again, a, a five to, to eight or ten-year-old computer is okay. You need something like uh, a one gigahertz Pentium with enough memory. This was a pleasure, folks. I enjoyed being with you. Thanks very much. Thanks.